But let's turn to Psalm 91, uh, where the theme of that beautiful song that Doug just sang for us comes from. Psalm 91, and we'll be reading through this entire passage tonight as a way of bringing to a close our focus on Corona Victus and having the Lord give us that victory that is His, the victory over all fear. So we'll be looking at Psalm 91 tonight. Recently, I read an article uh, about David Geffen. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that name, but David Geffen has been part of the production of a, a number of films, noteworthy films, as part of the SKG a production company. It's also called DreamWorks SKG. And the SKG stands for Steven Spielberg, uh, Jeffrey Kotzenberg, and then also David Geffen. Well, on March the 28th, uh, Mr. Geffen uh, produced a picture, but it was a picture that was only out uh, for one day. And that was a picture of his $550 million super yacht anchored in the Caribbean uh, near the Grenadine Island chain. And he posted a Instagram post, a picture. And here is what it said, a picture of sunset over his beautiful $550 million yacht. And it said, his statement, isolated in the Grenadine Islands, avoiding the virus. And you could almost hear, I'm sure, over the next 24 hours, a huge public response saying, really? Really? That's what you're sending out, suffering on your $550 million yacht at sunset in the Grenadines of the Caribbean. Well, most of us are having a little different kind of sheltering. Uh, we've had to learn what it means to shelter at home to avoid the virus. But what I want you to know that regardless of whether you're sheltered on a $550 million yacht or whether you are a sheltered in your humble home, however humble it might be. There is a virus that can creep into that home and it can creep into our hearts. And that is the virus of fear. And so I want us tonight to once again turn to someone who knew what it meant to be infected by fear. Who knew what it meant to experience Fear deeply, and yet God, by His presence and by what He provided for His servant, led David, yes, David, to not only be victorious over fear, but also to write a song that would bless the hearts of God's people for ages. And that song that David wrote about the victory over fear is in our Bibles as Psalm 91. 
one of the most beloved psalms of David. And I want us to read it tonight. If you'd follow along in your copy of God's Word, Psalm 91. David wrote, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your right side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now the key to that passage which I'd like us to focus on tonight, is found in verse 5, where David says, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. You will not fear. Now, this psalm is amazing in so many ways. The depth of it we could not begin to cover in a lengthy series of messages. And it is filled with meditation for us to feed our souls on through our entire lives. But tonight, I'd like us to focus on what David says about God himself as his shelter. David said he was sheltered. He was sheltered at home, but the shelter which was his home was his God. And you see this in verses 1 and 2. Notice he talks about the personal residence, the personal residence that God's people have. 
And notice how he describes this place of residence for the people of God. Verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Now, what was the occasion that caused David to speak in these kinds of terms? Well, he is looking out upon the Judean wilderness. It is truly a wilderness. It's a region with little water, practically no vegetation. It's incredibly hot during the day, frigid at night. And this was the place for a lengthy period of time that David had to consider home especially as he was fleeing for his life from King Saul. No vegetation, very little water, burning heat. But David found shelter in the Judean wilderness. He found it in the deep canyons formed by those steep, barren cliffs. And David and his men could enter into those canyons. And into those canyons, they would find the shadows. And the shadows would provide for them shelter. They would provide shelter from the elements. If you've ever been in a very arid climate, been out in the burning sun, you know that when you step into the shadows, you immediately experience relief. David experienced that and his men with him. He found shelter in the shadows of those canyons. And he also found safety because he was completely exposed to Saul when he was out in that bright sunlight with no place to hide. But going into those canyons formed by those steep cliffs, there he found not just shadows, but those shadows became what he calls his refuge, his fortress. David found in these canyons formed in the wilderness mountains of Judea, he found there cooling shadows that brought physical rest, it brought Emotional rest to his soul, but also as he would enter into one of these canyons and begin to think about God, there he would find spiritual rest as well. Because while he was there thinking of God's protection, he recognized that this canyon in which he was in, this place of shadow in which he was hiding, seeking refuge, was only an expression of his ultimate place of safety, his ultimate shelter, his ultimate refuge, which, which was his God. And that's the reason David writes this beautiful song. He begins to see this. He begins to see the context in which he's living. He begins to see the surroundings in a very different light. And they remind him of the 
provision of his God and he begins to take the challenges of his surroundings and see them in worship. He worships God. Listen to him in verse 2. He says, I will say. He's seen this. Now he says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. David says, God, it's not these canyons that are my shelter. You are my shelter. You are my dwelling place. You are the place of safety for me. You are, for me, an unimaginable residence. He is living in the safety of God. And my friend, I want you to know that God is still that place of shelter. God, the God that we worship, the God of David, He is the one who is the shelter. He is still the one who is the refuge. He is the fortress. He is still that same God. And who can experience Him like this? Who who are the people that experience God this way? Notice verse 2 says, It's those who trust. If you mark your Bible, I'd like you to do something this evening. Notice how verse 1 begins. He who dwells. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Circle that word dwell and connect it in verse 2 to the word trust. Trust. Who is the one who dwells in the shadow of the Almighty? Who is the one who can say, God is my refuge? Who is that one? It's that person who trusts in the Lord, who has unqualified reliance on God. That is who experience God as their place of shelter. Now, people put their faith in God. And it is a faith alone. It's not something that's earned. It is given. It is by faith alone in God alone, trusting in Him alone. But notice, it is a faith that produces realities. I want you to know this as we talk about having victory over fear. As we talk about being people who do not have to live under dread of circumstances. We are talking about realities. The reality of our living God. And that's what David does. Notice in verse 3, all the way down through verse 13, as he writes this beautiful song, he begins to talk about the powerful realities that are available for God's people. He's been talking about his personal residence. This is where he is living, sheltered in the Almighty. God, his refuge. God, his dwelling place. But Even as he goes out into life, God is his reality. And in beginning at verse 3, all the way through verse 13, he says the realities of God are for his people, for all who trust in him, that God is real. This is not wishful thinking. This is reality. Now notice something. Seven times 
it said. Seven times this word of reality is used. It's the word will. Will. That's a word of reality. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, he, excuse me, verse 4, he will cover you. Verse 4 says. Notice he says in verse 3, he will deliver you. Notice in verse 7, he says, it will not come near you. Notice verse 8 says, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Notice verse 11, he will command his angels to watch over you. Then verse 13, you will tread on the lion and on the adder. These are promises of God's reality. These do happen. God says they will happen. And then notice two amazing images of how real God is to David. And I want these images to rest on your heart this evening. And as you continue to meditate on this passage. Notice the images that God inspires David to use about how real he is to his people. First of all, he uses the image of a mother bird. And then he uses the image of military battle. Notice he uses, first of all, the image of a mother bird. Listen to verse 3. And verse 4, one of the most beautiful passages, perhaps, in all of the Psalms of David. David wrote, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Verse 4, He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge his faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Now notice such a ten tender image. It is an image that perhaps no one would dare use for Almighty God unless God himself had inspired David to use this image. It is the image of God as a mother bird. And God, as a mother bird, is covering, covering his people. Like a mother bird will cover her chicks. Covering. This is the image of Almighty God spreading himself out over his people. It's the image of love so great. That is willing to sacrifice even to death for the ones that are loved. And my friend, that is exactly what God did. God loved that much. As a matter of fact, Jesus used this expression when he was riding into Jerusalem on that incredible Sunday. As he was riding into Jerusalem and people were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. 
The Bible says that Jesus was weeping. And he cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that have stoned even the prophets that have been sent to you. Then Jesus said, how often I would have gathered you together as a mother hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings and you would not. Jesus did spread himself out over his people. The Bible tells us that though Jesus was rejected as the rightful king of the Jews, yet he went to the cross crowned, yes, the crowned one, and on that cross with his arms outstretched in love, he covered his people with the sacrifice of his own body. He spread himself out and absorbed the wrath due to sinners giving his life that we might live. This is the God we serve, friends. A God that is so loving, so tender, so kind that he has come to this earth and he has spread himself out, taking upon himself the judgment our sins deserved. What a God we serve. How precious he is. My friend, he's that same God today. And he cares for us with a love that is beyond imagination. And under his wings, there is no fear. In this shelter of the Almighty, in the shadow beneath the cross-centered love of God, there is no fear. No virus can reach us there. Notice one other image that David uses here. The image of God is the image of a mother bird. But then beginning in verse 4, he gives the image of military conflict, of a, of a battle. And how this God who loves us with such tenderness is also going to be with us in the midst of battle. Beginning in verse 4, notice he says that he will be a shield and a buckler to you. He says in verse number five that you will not be afraid of the terror at night or the arrow that flies by the day. And then he speaks about the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, but it will not come near to you. He says it will be like a thousand will fall and 10,000 at your side. Again, this image of battle. But you will be secure. And if that's not enough describing God's protection for his people in this image of a battle, he says there's even guards that are assigned to you. That you and I have guards assigned to us during our time here on earth in our struggles. 
the angels themselves. Look at verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The angels are the unseen guardians. They are ministering spirits, we're told, in the book of Hebrews. That have been sent forth to minister to us who will be the heirs of salvation. Friends, when we are in our times of deep trial, we are not alone. For yes, the Holy Spirit is with us and within us. But also, there are times when unseen guardians are assigned for our care. To provide for us and protect us. The very angels of God. I was reading concerning this passage this week, and I was taken by something that Tim Keller, the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, said. He had a a talk at a conference, a breakout session, on this passage, and he specifically referred to verses 11 and 12 as satanic exposition. (laughs) What a title. Satanic exposition. Now why did he call it that? Because this is the very passage that Satan quoted. Satan quoted from this psalm, Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, Satan quoted those as he tempted the Lord Jesus Christ to cast himself down if he were the son of God. Satan knew scripture. He knew this scripture. What was he trying to do? He was trying to keep Jesus from fulfilling the will of God. He was trying to tempt Jesus into trusting in his own way rather than committing himself fully to the will of God. In effect, what Satan was trying to say is you don't have to suffer, Jesus. There's another way. There's another way that you can do the will of God. You don't have to suffer. Even God says that because he's given his angels guard over you. You see, Satan knows how to take scripture out of context and twist it. My friends, the Lord Jesus Christ trusted completely in God. He knew that his father's will was the way of salvation. And he committed himself even To suffering. My friends today. It's passages like these and others. That are also twisted. Twisted in the name of. So called Christianity. To say that if you have enough faith. Then you don't have to suffer. You can command the reality. And you speak the word of faith. And it will be done. And my friend, that is completely contrary to the teaching of the Word of God. 
The Lord Jesus was called to suffer, to accomplish God's purposes of salvation. And the Bible says that we are also called to follow in his steps. And many times we do not suffer because we're out of the will of God. We suffer because we're in the will of God. Because God has ordained that in our suffering, that in our trials, we will know him as our dwelling place, our shelter, our refuge, our strength, our fortress. That, my friend, is spirit-directed exposition that the Lord wants us to apply to our hearts. Notice the promises that the Lord gives here as he brings David to this final, final praise of God's presence and God's promises. Notice what he says. He says that God has promised rewards for his people. Yes, there's the reality of suffering. There is battle. There will be struggle. God will be with us. And even though it will be difficult, it does not last forever. You see, friends, we live in the already but not yet time. We already are delivered but not yet completely delivered. We already are healed but not yet completely healed physically. We're already children of heaven but we're not there yet. We already are God's chosen ones, but we're not yet in his presence glorified. That is the existence we have as we make our journey home. But friend, the promises are absolutely certain that yes, there is the present reality of God and his love for us. There's the present reality of his protection, but he has promised some rewards for us as his people. Listen to verses 14 through 16. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now there are three great rewards that the Lord has promised to those who have him as their dwelling place. Those who find their shelter in him as their home. What are the rewards? First of all, God says that he will Hold them. They will be held by the Lord. Verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. You see, when we are holding fast to the Lord, the reality is he's holding fast to us. Our response of taking hold of him is because he has taken hold of us. We hold him and he holds us. That is the union that we have in Christ.
Christ. And the Lord says, we will be held by him. He will hold us fast. We will not be lost. We will not be allowed to drift away. We are held by him. We have come to know his name. What does that mean, to know his name? It means that we know him for who he really is as Lord and Savior. It's an experience of him. He holds us fast. Second reward that he promises. We will be held by the Lord and we will be heard by the Lord. We'll be heard by the Lord. Verse 15. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and I will honor him. Notice When he calls, I will answer. That's a promise from God. That in time of trouble, we are still held by him. And when we don't sense his presence, yet he is a very present help in time of need. The Lord is at hand, as Paul tells us in Philippians. And when we call, he is listening. Because we are his children. And he cares for us so tenderly. When we call, he listens. And one of the great priceless rewards we have is through Christ to be able to call on the Lord in time of trouble. And know, yes, he will hear us. And then notice this final reward. When someone trusts in the Lord... And God is that person's dwelling place. God promises he will be held by the Lord. She will be held by the Lord. He or she will be heard by the Lord. And also that believer will be honored by the Lord. Honored by the Lord. Verse 16. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. With long life, I will satisfy him. Now, someone might say, well, how can it be that the Lord gives long life to people that trust him, who believe in him and hold to him as their dwelling place when there's so many Christians who don't live a long life? They're taken from us. What's the answer to that? My friend, the answer is this. The length of a person's life is not measured in the quantity of days. It's measured in the quantity and the quality of days. You see, if you're a Christian, there's no end of your days. (laughs) Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And the Bible says we have eternal life. And that one day we will go to be with the Lord. It'll be eternal day. The day without end in his presence. We do have quantity of days. But on this planet earth. What matters most. Is that in the quantity of days that the Lord gives to us. There is a quality to those days. That there is a quality of life. 
There is, as the Lord has promised, abundant life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. That is his promise. It's the promise of, yes, quantity of days, life forever, but it's also the promise of life now. You see, being a Christian, friend, listen carefully. Being a Christian is, does not mean there's just life after death. No, to be a Christian means that there is life before and after death. We have real life now, and we will have incredible, everlasting life in the presence of the Lord one day. What is life? Do you ever ask yourself that question? What is life? Is it just succession of days? No, the Bible tells us what life really is. And as a matter of fact, Jesus tells us what life really is. When Jesus was praying, as it's recorded in John chapter 17, he said to God his Father, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That, my friend, is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God personally, knowing Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, that He has sent. That is true life. And the Lord's promise to those who trust in Him, I will show Him my salvation. I will show him my salvation. What is our salvation? Our salvation is God himself. God is our salvation. What does the name Jesus mean? Jehovah is salvation. And it is in Jesus Christ that we truly come to know everlasting life. When God himself becomes our dwelling place, when our refuge, our place of safety is the Lord Jesus Christ, we are promised life, eternal life, salvation, knowing God through his son, the Lord Jesus. That, my friend, truly is life. And in the presence of the Lord, there is this abiding promise. Fear not. Fear not. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you that you are our dwelling place. You are our refuge and our fortress forever and ever. Thank you, O Lord, that in the midst of wilderness experience, in the midst of trials and challenges, yet God, you are our abiding and everlasting joy. In you there is life, life to the fullness. And we thank you, Lord, that we have a place of safety where fear cannot reign because Jesus reigns. 
praise you that where Christ reigns, peace reigns. And now may your peace reign in our hearts because the Prince of Peace, the one who wears the crown, rules and is victor in our life. We give you praise for this victory that overcomes the world, the victory of our faith in the one who was victorious, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And God's people said,